My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Pop Culturing, where we talk about pop culture. We talk about movies. We talk about TV shows. We talk about music. Do we talk about Netflix series? We are today. Um, so for those of you guys who were hoping to hear about St. Elmo's Fire, we pushed that back a few a few weeks. It's a good one. Even though we already did it. <laughs> it's next week. but Two weeks, sweetie. <clears throat> two weeks. But we had to do this series because Why? every once in a while, a series comes along and it's very rare. I would say the last time that I felt like a series was really impacting was Stranger Things. Big yeah. Little Lies. Uh, Big Little Lies, yeah. Big Little Lies, too. But more like the first season. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this... Uh, this show called Unbelievable came out on Netflix about a week and a half ago, and literally the day it came out, I was on Twitter, and everyone was tweeting about it. And then I, I read what it was about, and it, it had all the elements that are meaningful to me in regards to watching television shows. All right. And so... Todd, so Todd and I were able to sit down and watch every single episode. Eight all together. And it was a very rewarding experience. I agree. Difficult and uncomfortable, but yes. rewarding. Um, I would say sobering. Yeah. Horrifying. Yeah. Sad. Uh, complicated. Yes, it is complicated. And just to kind of give you a little background about it, so... Real quick. Yes. Um, so if somebody hasn't seen this show, uh -huh. they probably shouldn't listen to this podcast. Well, I what mean, this is a true story. It's so a true story, but if you want to enjoy it without us spoiling how it goes, go listen, go watch the eight episodes and then come back. Well, and I'm a little torn about that. Okay. And this is why. All right. Let me explain this part. Okay. And I'm a little torn about saying this is like all for drama. Okay. Because this was, um, originally the story was told by two writers, uh, T. Christian Miller and Ken Armstrong in 2016. They won a Pulitzer Prize for writing about this story. Um, they wrote it uh, for ProPublica and the Marshall Project, and it was called An Unbelievable Story of Rape. Um, they, in the story, they connected Marie's case, which is the, you know, kind of the heart of this show, with the investigation of a rapist by two um, detectives, two female detectives. So in the story that they wrote for ProPublica, they, they interwove it just like they did for the TV show. Mm -hmm. And then um, the since that article came out, the, the story the story has been retold twice, once on This American Life. Um, and if you listen to This American Life on podcasts, you know that they only like, what is it, 10 episodes, Todd, that they keep up there at a time? Yeah, they're, they're not easy to go back in the archives. They're not. But if you go to their website, you can find this. Um, and they called it, I think they called, I can't remember what they called it. Um, but just go into un, just go into this. We'll American put it in Life. the uh, show uh, show notes, the links. Yes, and I listened to the first three episodes of it, and it has the real people in it. So it's a whole series on this American. Yes. Life? Okay. And then they also a book was created by the same people who wrote the article, and they titled it "A False Report." Mm -hmm. I guess it's being republished as unbelievable, um, and they expanded the story. So the reason why I'm saying this is this is less of movie fiction that you want to be excited to the end yeah. and more about a telling of a true story. If you guys are like Todd, where you're like, 
part of holding your attention is being unsure about how it unfolds. I get it. And right. maybe watch it first. But to me, I it's knew this story. It's not necessarily just about this Netflix series. Correct. Okay. I knew this story already. I knew what happened. I knew who was in it before I even watched it. Um, I knew how it was going to you know, lay out. And it didn't keep it from being really yeah. incredibly moving. Yeah. And so I just wanted to say that first. Um, and then the other thing is there's pro- the content is heavy, really heavy. Yes. Um, so trigger warnings? Maybe. I think that from what I've heard, um, especially if you're choosing to watch it, I know that a lot of sexual assault uh, survivors were very triggered by it, but not triggered. How do I say this? Yes, triggered, especially the first episode, and there's many scenes in it that can be very um, uncomfortable and um, can bring back a lot for people. But there's also a sense of that it's being handled respectfully. Mm -hmm. When you're watching Marie's story, not always, but there's a sense of hopefulness in it that I think is worth the watching of it. And again, everyone has to decide for themselves. Right. I mean, we recommend things, but then if you go into it and you're like, this is more pain right. than enjoyment, right. absolutely yeah. jump out. But um, so yes, trigger warning. Okay. All right. So why don't you just play that opening? All right. Do you want to set it up or no? No. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. Before the assault. Can you tell me everything that happened? Honey, you need to be more specific. I know this is hard, but I need to ask you some questions about what happened. Marie, you need to know. I just want to go over the incident once more. Sorry. We need it for our records. But I already told you everything. You're sure? I don't... It's, it's confusing. I wanted to go home. And they just kept asking me the same question over and over again. How come your story doesn't add up? How come people don't believe you? I'm pretty positive that it happened. Pretty positive... Or positive. All right. So, so that's just a real clip from one of, they have three or four trailers. So that's just about 35 seconds of the first one. And I would say everything in that trailer is from episode one. Wouldn't you say? Uh, yes. If you had to choose out of these eight episodes, the hardest one to watch. Is the first one. For sure. For sure. And the reason why it's the hardest one to watch is it is, it opens with this girl, Marie, who's uh, the actress who plays her. Caitlin Dever, I think is her name. She was in the movie Booksmart. Mm. Um, she is amazing. Um, seriously, if like the three women who like lead this show don't get Emmy nominations, but we'll get into that later. Um, so it opens with her, um, sitting on the floor covered in a blanket and the police have been called because she has been raped. And so it starts out with her having to tell a police officer her story. And I'm going to get, I'm not going to do this with every single scene, but when I was watching with Todd, I was probably annoying because I was pointing out a lot of things um, that are difficult right off the bat. Number one, um, that when the police officer comes to ask her her story, he basically like half kneels down, mm-hmm. um, is not, there's nothing very soothing about the situation. It feel he asks her to share everything that happened um, and he doesn't really take notes about it. You know, there's not a lot of, um, there's not there's not a lot of comfort in the moment for right. somebody who has just been victimized in such a way. It's very uh, litigious. Um, it's very um, empty. empty. It's empty. Shall- not shallow. What's the word? Just business-like, even though somebody was just assaulted. 
they're acting as if they're writing a parking ticket. And that's it, is that there is a, this is just part of the job yeah. kind of thing. And this is what Todd and I were able to talk about after, before he saw episode two, was that when, I think most people who see episode one, including myself, you look at it and you're like, that's really the way things are done. Most I wor- all the time. Most all the time. I, I've worked with sexual assault survivors um, for the majority of my career. I've worked in a hospital and you see how, this is the structure that's put into place and it becomes very normalized to us yeah. where we we look at that structure and we're like, what else did we want him to do, mm-hmm. right? What else is there that you could do? Then the problem is, is after she re- cites this whole story again, which is really traumatic. Yeah. So it's like putting her through the trauma again. Mm-hmm. Then the detectives arrive yeah. and they say, tell us the story again. Yeah. And she's like, again, yeah. which happens all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like not... Uh, there's not thoughtfulness about maybe we should have her tell the story once, get all the information. Right. It happens. So the, the, whatever the beat cop, uh, she says the beat cop first, then the detective comes in. And then after the police station, the detective asks the exact same questions a third time. And then last, not lastly, but then she has to write everything down. She has to, so she has to relive this experience four times the day that she was raped. And let me tell everybody, this is going to be a theme throughout this whole show and everything that Todd and I are talking about. When someone has just experienced a trauma, their memory is not clear. This is a, um, a something that people don't understand unless A, they've experienced a trauma or B, they've been educated or work with people who have experienced a trauma or they've read enough to understand that this happens. When you are experiencing a trauma, if it be rape or someone is holding you up or mugging you or carjacking you or your house is being broken into, there is a lot of things that happen in the mind and body that keep us safe in that moment. For example, in this experience that um, Marie had, she actually disassociated Mm -hmm. in the while it was happening, which is something she was able to learn how to do as a she was uh, raised in the foster care system and abused and abused, and a lot of things happened to her. So she was able to, I think she calls it turning off a switch, which a lot of people do. Yeah, where she was able to disassociate, pull away from what was happening to her, and you see like these snapshots of her playing in the ocean because that's where she's allowing her mind to go. Mm-hmm. So this is a real thing that Well, it's happens. funny you say that because I always wondered why they kept playing that scene where she's happy at the beach. Yes. And I didn't know that until you just said that just now. And I also, because I rewatched this in preparation for this show, um, I noticed that while she was being assaulted, I don't even know if I should say assaulted or raped. Like assaulted is too soft of a word. She, while she was either. being raped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She looked and she saw a picture of, you know, four by six picture Correct. of herself at the beach. Correct. And I didn't pick that up the first yeah. viewing. And I'm like, oh, that's where she got that from. So this is why the, the, um, how this story is told on film is so beautifully done because they actually said the director was like, how do we get into her mind and show everyone that she's disassociating because that's easy to do when you're reading the story in the ProPublica article. Cause she can say I detached from the experience, but that's what she did. I look, she looks at a picture of herself. She remembers herself happy in the beach. This is what I work with a lot of children, unfortunately, or used to who were molested um, when they were young or, or, you know, sexually assaulted. And that's what children do too. They pull themselves out of the situation mentally, and it is a protection of our brain. So we don't have to go through the trauma in the moment. The unfortunate part though, is part of our body and mind did go through the trauma. So we still have to deal with it eventually. But in that moment, we can only take 
so much. Mm -hmm. So in this moment when Marie is being raped, she's able to disassociate. Thus, can you understand why when someone is questioning you about what did he say? What did he do? What happened next? She wasn't always, she wasn't there for yeah. all of it. And I mean, intellectually, yeah, like you think in her that body. You would think that like you would have, be hyper-conscious of all the details. One thing I, I, I think we probably all know is that everybody deals with trauma differently. Amen. And the way a lot of people deal with trauma is that they... Um, the details get very confusing. Like, yep. like what color eyes did he have? Do you really think I'm paying attention to what color eyes this man right. has? Right. Like, how am I supposed to remember that? And that's if, even in an everyday language, everyday occurrence, walking past the street, like, oh, did you notice what color his eyes were? I, no, I don't know. And if you're being traumatized at the moment, God only knows what you're recognizing, what you're not recognizing. And I love that you said it's different for everybody because one of the things that they demonstrated to us is where Marie disassociated and you know had to kind of bring herself back together. The the next victim that we're introduced to in episode two, she becomes hyper aware. What time was it? Twelve thirty two. What color were there his eyes? Blue. Because she became very laser focused. Yeah. Because she realized that to survive, she had to pay close attention to him. Yeah. And she had to talk to him and she had to act like they were friends. Yeah. And this is what a lot of rape survivors do too. Yeah. Is they'll act as if you know, this is... And they, they try to humanize themselves, humanize themselves to their perpetrator. Exactly, because they're like, this is the only way I, I will survive it if it if I humanize him and he, you know, if we become like friends yes. in the moment, and I'm putting that in air quotes. And this is, I actually have in front of me, uh, at the very same time that this show, Unbelievable, is on the air, a new book came out and it came out last week. I it, I think I got it the day it came out and it's by Jody Cantor and Meg, uh, uh, Megan Tui who were the ones who broke the story about Harvey Weinstein in 2016. And it is all about their experiences with talking to sexual assault survivors um, who had to deal with Harvey Weinstein. And their stories and how it went down is so similar. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just so much in the ethers right now around understanding trauma and understanding what trauma looks like in the moment, a week later, a year later. Like it's not simplistic. And unfortunately, and this is, I'm going to, you know, you can see this throughout the movie, but this, this show, this Netflix series was written by women and it was directed by a woman and the stars are all women. Yeah. So what we are finally seeing is a movie or a television series through the eyes of the victims rather than the perpetrator. So to that end, um, I guess a public service announcement, I could see a lot of guys thinking that, oh, this is by women, for women, about rape. I don't need to watch this. I don't need to hear about it. I don't need to see anything. And the actual opposite is true. This is for uh, This yes. is for us guys. I feel like women are like, yep, uh-huh, yeah. yep. Mm -hmm. And the guys, including myself, are like, oh my God. And this happened for me. I do the tribe men's group and we did a virtual meeting, which means we all were looking at each other on a Zoom call. And uh, my friend who set up the call, the topic of the discussion was reading Chanel Miller's letter that she wrote to Brock Turner, who's the Stanford swimmer who served- The man who sexually assaulted her. Yes. The man who sexually, I just, that's a quick way so people can recognize who we're talking about. It is. And I appreciate you saying that because it gives me an opportunity to yeah. say the man who sexually assaulted her because- 
all we do is say she's a victim and he's a Stanford swimmer. And it's the man who um, who uh, was convicted of three felonies and the judge gave Brock three months, six months, six months. and he was out in three months. Correct. So it was a really sobering experience for me to read this mm-hmm. as the father of three daughters. It was sobering experience for me to be on the call with these 10 other men who were experiencing a lot of the same things I am. And I, it's just, for me, it's in the air. And I just hope that the women that are listening to this, please invite your partners, if your partner happens to be a husband. And your sons. And your sons, age appropriate, because mm-hmm. it's teenage, you know. Are yeah, fit, it's, it's explicit. It's heavy. Uh-huh. Um, or guys, if you're listening to this, instead of watching the game on Thursday night, watch this and talk to your buddies about it mm-hmm. because it's absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we should, I don't know if you're done with the first episode, but I feel like no. we should roll into the difference between the way the two different sets of detectives talk about it. But go ahead. Well, I absolutely, you know what? There's no way, Tad, we're going to go back and forth between episode one and all the rest of the episodes because what happened in episode one is the center of the story. Yes. I mean, everything that happens to Marie, basically, um, just to summarize so we can, you know, you guys can see the difference, is not only is Marie questioned in such a way that isn't very comforting to her and doesn't allow her to remember everything that happened or say it in a coherent way, um, there's not a lot of understanding. It's not a trauma-informed inquiry, right. put it that way. Because when I first saw first episode, I'm like, oh, yeah, that looks like that's the way the investigations go. It looks like that's how they're supposed to go. They got to ask these difficult questions. They got to say that you're going to go to the hospital and get all these horrifying tests that they have to do. I mean... I know. The thing I said to Todd after the episode one is that because I've worked with so many women who have been assaulted is that I know that usually the questioning by the police officers, even if it's well intended, Mm -hmm. it's not always trauma informed Mm -hmm. and it's not always that empathetic. It's very detached. Trauma informed. I mean, you're explaining that right Right. now, but that means... Trauma informed means understanding what this person in front of you is actually going through and that sometimes they're going to get mentally sidetracked. Sometimes they're going to shut down. Sometimes they may not even have any emotion. Right. Sometimes their face does not match what's going on inside, inside. of them. Which we can all understand this. Okay. If And again, trauma, being trauma informed is deeper than this experience that I'm going to share, but it yeah. can give us a, a glimpse. When my daughter broke her wrist several years back, I was in the bathroom. She came in, walked in. Her hand was completely detached from her arm, hanging off her arm. And she said, mom, I think I did something. And I was like, whoa. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was so obviously fully broken. Mm -hmm. We were like, let's get in the car. I was like, how are you doing? She's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. We get in the car. She didn't have any emotion. She didn't cry. She didn't um, scream. And she didn't really even feel the pain until 45 minutes later till you got there. The reason I'm pointing that out is that's what our body and our mind does to us. Mm -hmm. It's called shock, and it allows us to be able to get our act together and either get out of a situation or get into a place where we can actually help ourselves. So this is like, same as the example that I was giving before about disassociation. Our body and mind loves us so much, they won't let us feel all that pain at once. And I'm saying they like they're different entities. I'm just trying to make the point. So when someone is first... First assaulted, when someone first experiences something that traumatic, they are not going to be sobbing. Mm-hmm. It, they, now, here's the thing. If they are, that's fine too. That's not a, I'm not saying 
that there's only one way that it's going to look. What I'm saying is it's okay if they're not. Yeah. I can't think of the, see, here's the thing. Most of the women that I talk to, um, at least now, uh, you know, I used to in the hospital talk to people at, in the moment, but now they're telling me something 10 years later. So they do have tears because it's coming up as an old memory, mm-hmm. but in the moment is a very different experience. Yeah. So she shares her story. She's kind of like, you know, they're, they're asking her a lot of questions. It's not a very empathetic questioning. It's detached. Then I'm jumping ahead in episode one, but basically they start to get some different information because her foster mothers, especially one of them, Judith, Judith, Judith thinks it's weird that this happened to Marie because Marie is often attention seeking and she's making an assumption that Marie is being attention seeking because Marie didn't cry and Marie is not being a typical person. And she's shown some behaviors where she wants attention as most teenagers do at one time or another in their life. So yeah, because remember they do the flashbacks of when she like blows out the birthday cake and all that. Yes. And she's dancing at the party. Well, that must mean that she was lying, sweetie. And here's the other one. So her other foster mother who the, both of these women love her, by the way, yeah. the one thing they do very well in this show is they don't, even though there are people that you're so frustrated with, they don't vilify them. Mm-hmm. They don't like, you know, basically put play horrible theme music yeah. when they come in. They're, they're trying to make everyone human. But the other foster mother takes her shopping to get sheets because they obviously the police had to take all of her bed sheets and everything because of what happened to her. And Marie is kind of like, you know, running through the store and she's really focused on getting a certain uh, set of sheets that she wants because they're the sheets she had before and she's mad that they're not there. And this foster mother is annoyed by that because she's like, why would she want the same sheets if she was attacked in those sheets? Mm -hmm. And see, this is where we start to get in our own head and we think we understand other people so well. I was watching that scene, 100% understanding why she would want her old sheets. She wants things to go back to, to normal. Where they were, right? And this foster mother assumes that somehow wanting the same sheets is indicative that it didn't really happen. Right. This is all crap. Yeah. This is and this is what happens. So, final part of episode 1 is they basically decide that her story is not and I'm putting this in air quotes holding up. Yep. And they question her as if she is the perpetrator. Yeah. So the story gets turned around. Marie is told to recant because then she starts thinking maybe she dreamed it. Mm-hmm. And this we've seen this in like Making a Murderer sure. with Brendan Dassey. Yeah. Um, we've seen like where when you get questioned in such a way where you start to change your story. Of course. And in the Central Park Five, yeah. the you know, when they see us, where basically they're basic they're saying to you, you can leave if you tell us this. Yeah. So Marie just wanted to get out of there. And this is the last thing I'll say to kind of close out episode one so Todd can move to episode two. She does the flipping of the switch where she decides she has great experience with being able to shut off her emotions Mm -hmm. and she turns them off. Do do you remember the scene? She's crying and then all of a sudden you hear the music go, Mm -hmm. and she just turns off her emotions and she's like, can I go now? So they think, oh, see, she really did lie. Where really what she did- She wants to get out of Dodge. She wants to get out of there because she does not trust them. She does not trust them. She is not trusting of authority figures because of her history. And that is where this whole story begins. Okay. All right. So episode two. So episode two, it's a diff. So move over. You guys probably already know this because you've seen the series, but now we're in Colorado. Another person has been victimized in the exact same way. So there's a different detective, a female detective that is 
interviewing the victim. And these are just a, a few clips. And the idea is to notice the difference between what you heard in that trailer that we are originally played. How Marie was questioned versus Correct. how this uh, girl is questioned. Are you injured physically? Would you like to see a paramedic? No, they checked me out already. I'm fine. Let me know if that decision changes. Sometimes pain can sneak up on you. They're right here and they're here for you. Okay. It's all right with you. I'd like to ask you some questions. Sure. It's a little busy out here. Would you be comfortable talking in my car? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, good. That's me right here. All right, so we're going to fast forward, but do you want to say anything about that, sweetie? Um, all I'll say is just kind of setting the tone, just the fact that this girl who has been victimized is kind of standing alone by herself. Mm-hmm. And this detective uh, notices that and walks over to her and starts this conversation. And, and as you can tell just by her voice, instead of being detached, she's connected. Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, we just need to do this right here, right now, and like getting down to work, she cares more about her well-being and making sure she's feeling okay. And let me say one more thing as you're getting to the next part, Todd. Mm -hmm. One thing that makes it a little easier to not vilify the detectives in episode one is the fact that neither of those detectives had had training in trauma, you know, being trauma-informed, and only one of them, he had been like on the sexual assault unit for like... He's he had only prosecuted or um, what would you call it like investigated two sexual assaults prior to this one with Marie. So he didn't have a lot of experience. Now, I'm not letting him off the hook. I'm just saying that's very common that we think, you know, these these guys were homicide detectives and they get moved into this division with rape thinking it's the same thing. And it's not. And this woman, this detective has a lot of experience with sexual assault, and as I, you can tell. And if I could snap my fingers and ha- have anybody watch this, it would be um, detectives who do this. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, all men should see the first episode in the first 20 minutes of the second episode. And if you don't like it after that, don't do it. But just give the first episode and, and the first 20 minutes of the second episode a try just so you can empathize and understand something that we were never taught. And see the difference and what a difference it makes Correct. for that person. Here we go. Now she's in the car. No, I, I think that's everything. And once you realized he was gone, what'd you do then? I called 911. Even though he told you not to? Well, yeah. I mean, of course. Do you know roughly what time it was? 1232. I... I checked. I, um, I figured it mattered. You're right, it does. This is very helpful, Amber. The level of detail you're able to remember gives me a lot to work with. Thank you for that. Sure. I want to talk to you about physical evidence. Every rape has three crime scenes. The location of the assault, the body of the attacker, and the body of the victim. Each of them can offer up important information. Now the hospital will do a thorough exam of your body, but would you be comfortable with me trying to collect DNA evidence from your face now? Yeah. So she ends up swabbing her face, but um, just the way that she presents that you're about to get examined at the hospital compared to the first episode, 
uh, it's night and day. Yeah. That's all. Well, she explains to her why it's necessary. Why am why do we do this? She also says to her, you guys didn't get to hear this clip, but she says to her right when they get in the car, um, we have found that we need to have this conversation right away after the trauma because that's when people tend to remember the most. Mm-hmm. And so she lets her know, so that's why I'm asking you now. Because it can feel really intrusive right after you've been victimized to have somebody ask you so many questions, but there's a reason for it. And right. what she's able to do is explain why she's doing what she's doing and also checks in with her about how she's doing, gives her, like there's a moment where... You know, Amber in this scene actually talks about Chicago and that's her home. And the detective says, wow, do you miss home? Like connects connects with her in a way like it's not just about me trying to get information. I am trying to see you as a human. Asks about her boyfriend. It's just like Todd said, it's such a stark contrast. Mm -hmm. Um, Do do you want to move on from episode two? Well, what I'll say in episode two is that, um, first of all, because we get introduced to this detective um, uh, played by, I think her name is Merritt Weaver. It's W-E-V-E-R. She's a rock star. And I'm not sure if it's pronounced Weaver or Weaver, um, but she's won Emmys already, Todd. Did you know that? Yeah, she was on Nurse Jackie, and I never watched that, um, but she's so good. Um, I said to Todd as we were kind of watching a a scene to get ready for the show, I'm like, I miss her. Mm -hmm. I miss seeing her every night. She's so good. Yeah. Acting wise, you just want her on your team. You do. And one of my favorite parts that we didn't pull up um, is when they get in her car, she's taking Amber to the hospital, and there is this thing that she has on her dash that says, Here I am. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? It was a Bible verse. Oh, yeah. Because she's a very Christian woman. Right. And it's this Bible verse that she loves about. you know, who will be the protectors and who will show up uh, for people in need. And so she, she has the quote on her dash that says, here I am, Mm -hmm. you know, I will show up. So it gives you a sense of understanding about her and her belief system and why she believes, uh, you know, why she does what she does. Um, It's, I just really liked that moment. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of moments of her in the car by herself that give you like, remember that I think like episode five, when she's singing, in the car. Yes. I loved that. It just humanizes her. Yeah. And then how she stops so abruptly, mm-hmm. how you can go from like, you're having joy and you're like remembering a good thing. And then you get back into the moment of yeah, remembering because why. Because she saw the Mazda, right? Exactly. Yeah. It was, is amazing. So this is a little bit of a detour, but um, there's another part in episode four we wanted to play. Uh-huh. And there is this young man who uh, they think might know something about this rape. Mm-hmm. And she's questioning him. It turns out he has nothing to do with it. But he's just like this, I don't know. Well, we need to set it up even more because he is doing things wrong. Of course. He just doesn't have anything to do with this rape. So basically, there is a kid from the college who comes in and says, I saw this flyer about somebody raping women. And he said, and I think I know who's doing it. And she says, who? And he says, this guy from our school, we have watched him get women drunk, take them into the bedroom and have sex with them. And then- a few minutes later, this same detective, she says, so tell me about, you know, more about you seeing him rape women. Mm -hmm. And this kid's like, no, no, I didn't say rape. She goes, when you take a woman and get her drunk and take advantage of her while she's unconscious, that is rape. And even for that moment, there's a lot of teaching 
in this in this series right. where you're starting to realize what consent means if you didn't know already. So this guy, this kid really thinks it's his, I don't know if it's his buddy, but this kid he knows from school. So we already know that this kid from school does not make the best choices with women. Right. Okay. He's been assaulting them. So then they bring him in to see if he's connected to all of these um, you know, crimes, these, these, these rapes that have been occurring. And then this is what happens. Go ahead. One more thing before Todd plays this clip is that he does have a previous record of a woman accusing him of rape. Um, and she ends up deciding not to press charges. And so in this, this discussion that they're having, um, what is she, what do you call this? Not investigate when someone, this questioning inquiry, inquiry, she, you know, brings up or he brings up that there was a history with him being charged. I'm Detective Duvall. Hey. Hi. Um, so what's this about? Because that thing sophomore year got all resolved, you know. What thing? That. And that girl made that thing up about me. You can see it got totally cleared up. I was really grateful to you guys for seeing it for what it was. Which was what? Just, you know, getting with the wrong girl. What was wrong about her? It's all in there. We hooked up the one time. And when she realized that was all it was going to be, she just, I hate to say it, she just kind of went off. Off in what way? Made stuff up. Happens all the time now. Girls making all these claims. It's a thing. There's status to being a victim. Which is bullshit. Because there are real victims out there, and when you go around saying you have been victimized when you haven't, it just makes it harder for those people who really do need help. Mm-hmm. And then guys like me, normal guys, end up getting accused of all kinds of crazy stuff. Like what else? What do you, what do you mean? You said all kinds of crazy stuff. What other accusations have there been against you? No, none. Why? Did somebody say something? About what? Look, I didn't do anything to anybody. And that's not me saying that. That's you guys, Golden PD. Not really. What the department said was that it couldn't pursue the case because the victim didn't want to press charges. Yeah, because it was bullshit. Do I need to be here? All right. <laughs> There's so much. So much in there. <laughs> so much. So let's start with the fact that the reason I wanted to give you the background, the fact that another kid, someone he knew, a guy, um, came in to turn this kid in because they knew that he had a history with assaulting women 
getting them hammered and assaulting them and that it was kind of a known thing. And so yeah, blessings to that kid. Yes. Like that's the bystander moment. Exactly. Somebody coming in and saying, we know a guy who does this. Yeah. And the fact that he <laughs> like that scene. Okay. First of all, the reason I love that scene and Todd and I have played that scene so many times, her questioning is amazing. It's the opposite of what you're used to hearing interrogators or inquiries. That's detectives. Interrogators. Yeah. Cause it's usually like two guys, Drinking coffee, a good cop, bad cop. Totally. One's yelling, the other, and she's just asking questions. She's letting him talk. Yeah, like she, you know, you know, someone may listen to that and be like, "But they're making him." He, she's not doing anything. Yep. She's asking questions, and instead of agreeing with him or like allowing him to say something without it being questioned, yeah. like you know, that's what. Okay, and the part that there's so many pieces to that that drives me crazy, but the part that just makes me cringe and roll my eyes and punch my fist through things is that's what girls do nowadays. They just make up shit about us. And, um, there is some kind of status in being a victim. And all I can say for anybody who believes that, who really walks around believing that there's status in being a victim, I can't tell you how many sexual assault victims I have worked with. And I, and I don't even like that word sexual assault survivors I have worked with. And all I know that they carry around is pain, fear, anxiety, sometimes post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and they try and hide it from people the best they can, sometimes including their husband, sometimes including their partner, uh, including their children. This is not something people want as a status. This is one of the worst things that could ever happen to a woman. And the, you know, again, we always have to say this, Todd and I do a lot of shows about, um, on Zen Parenting Radio, a lot of shows about assault and, um, you know, this crime. And there is the statistic of there being false um, accusation. Accusation. Um, yeah. What am I trying to say? Like a false report mm-hmm. uh, is somewhere between, what do they say now, two and 8%. Mm-hmm. That is no different than somebody who walks in to report their car being stolen somebody who says that they were mugged, somebody says that they were carjacked, there is no difference. Statistically. Statistically. Like there, so when we walk around believing that women make these things up because they want to be a victim, so they get status from it, this is why these shows are so important. We have to start breaking down these belief systems that are so ingrained and maybe taught to us through stories and through the media and start looking at what's really happening. Mm-hmm. And obviously she is able to continue that questioning of him because she's not going to buy what he's selling. Right. <laughs> um, so one thing I thought of when viewing the series, maybe not the specific uh, moment, is just the permanence of what any victim, yes. man or woman, yep. boy or girl, or anything in between feels like there's no way to ever get back what you once had, which is not having this experience. It doesn't go away. And the horrifying thing for me as a father of three daughters is, God forbid, if this were to ever happen to anybody I loved, this can't be fixed. Mm -mm. Even if you catch the bad guy, it doesn't, like, it never goes away. Hopefully it gets lighter and you learn how to deal with a little bit better, but you never go back to the way you were. The language that's often used, and I think um, 
uh, we've discussed this before on the show, there's a difference between moving on and moving forward. Mm -hmm. Some people think that moving on is about you're just going to forget it, move on, it, it happened, it's over. That can never happen. You're going to have to figure out how to integrate this situation, what happened to you being victimized, if you are going to be able to maintain your emotional and mental health. You have to find a way to process through it, talk about it, and deal with it so you can integrate it. Then you can move forward. Mm -hmm. But like Todd said, even in moving forward, you can't leave it behind. It is forever a part of you, and it alters your trajectory. Right. It changes everything about what's going to happen next. And they demonstrate that through the victims that are the survivors that are in the show. You know, Amber, the girl that's interviewed in the car, at first you think, oh, she and her boyfriend, you know, she's going to, you know, she's going to tell him he's going to support her. And there's a scene or two where he's in it. But eventually you see that she and the boyfriend are no longer together, that her friends are telling her to get out of the house, that she's become almost like a hermit. You know, she doesn't go out as much as she used to. The woman who works at the fraternity house, she was victimized. She was raped by this man and she is scared to death to go outside. She doesn't sit by any windows. She has to have the, the fraternity boys walk her to her car. Um, the woman who was almost raped, who was, who jumped over the railing, she is in constant physical pain. She is in emotional pain. She's lost her jobs. My, I'm just reiterating Todd's point. There is nothing in these experiences that give you something positive going forward. No. Maybe you can then be more compassionate toward people who have been victimized. Maybe you can work in that field where you support people. You can pull, you can have post-traumatic growth. Right. That's, you know, this is not a hopeless thing, but the idea that this is something that women would that it's not a big deal, uh, that's the only way I can say it, is ridiculous. Well, and to give you an example, and, you know, whether, I don't know if it's right or wrong to bring this up, but back in 1988, 1989, uh -huh. Bobby Knight, you remember his comments about rape? No. And I don't even know in what context it was, but he was asked by Connie Chung, the NBC News correspondent conducting the interview, how he handled stress. The Indiana men's basketball coach said, I think that if rape is, inev is that inevitable, relax and enjoy it. So that gives you an example of the warped sense of what certain people think the impact of what this means. And what that comment is, is he thinks that rape is sex. Yes. And rape is not sex. Rape is power. Rape is control. Rape is victimization and rape is violence. Mm -hmm. There is a sexual act occurring, but that is not, rape is not sex. Yeah. It is, it's violence. So, and then the only other thing, and Kathy and I have done so many shows about consent and sexual assault. Go to Zen Parenting Radio and you can put in the search box and you can find stuff. But I feel like this is another opportunity because even when I teach it, I still need to kind of revisit it to make sure I know what I'm talking about. So for me, consent in the most simple way is an enthusiastic, sober yes to any type of sexual activity. Sexual activity. Um, I, I found this. I really liked it. There's a sex educator named Jamie LeClaire highlights five different factors. We're not going to go through them, but I at least want to just say them out loud so that people that are wondering what consent means, this is how, I don't know if Jamie's a man or a woman, how Jamie... Uh, says it. So the five factors is one, it needs to be voluntary, mm -hmm. needs to be informed and coherent. Okay. That's two. Three is enthusiastic and unambiguous. Mm -hmm. Very clear. Mm -hmm. Number four, reversible. 
means you could stop your at any time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no matter how many times you've had sex with this person or how far you happen to be going in the moment. Even if you decided two hours prior that you were going to have sex. And then last last but not least, ongoing and specific. Sex is an active, continuous interaction. Consenting to some heavy petting isn't necessarily agreeing to be flogged, whatever flogged means. I don't know what flogged means. But anyway, so those are the five. And we can get back to the show now. I just wanted to say that out loud. Well, will you pull up um, the thing that Jackson Katz always says? Uh, Jackson Katz is a um, educator and he focuses on healthy masculinity and helping people understand um, the, you know, the lack of equality when it comes to issues like this. And he always talks about how women, when we're talking about if it be pregnancy or especially when we're talking about assault, how it only ends up falling on the women and we actually even drop the male name or the the fact that a man was involved mm-hmm. when we talk about it. Um, so, Okay, so this is from um, Jackson Katz. We talk about how many women were raped last year, not about how many men raped women. We talk about how many girls in a school district were harassed last year. Is this the one you're talking uh-huh. about? Uh-huh. Not how many boys harass girls. We talk about how many teenage girls in the state of Vermont got pregnant last year rather than how many men and boys impregnated teen girls. See, you can use, you can see how the use of the passive voice has a political effect. It shifts the focus of men and boys and onto girls and women. Even the term violence against women is problematic. It's a passive construction. There's no active agent in the sentence. It's a bad thing that happens to women, but when you look at the term violence against women, nobody's doing it to them. It just happens to them. Men aren't even a part of it. And then this is what he had on his whiteboard during his TED Talk. Mary was beaten by John. Mary was beaten. Mary was battered. Mary is a battered woman. The first sentence explains in a good English sentence, a subject, verb, and object. The second sentence is the first sentence written in the passive voice. And according to Katz, a whole lot has happened. The focus has shifted from John to Mary. John is now at the end of the sentence, which means that John is very close to dropping off the map of our psychic plane. Which he does. So the whole gist of that is that the first sentence... John did something to Mary. Yeah. But by by the time we get to the last sentence, Mary is just a battered woman. Yes. So who did it to her? Yes. Why is she alone in that sentence? Right. But this is how we talk about these things. Right. We talk about them in terms of the, what did the woman do? You know, where were you? Why did this happen? Versus who was the person that perpetrated this crime? But we, there's, there's... Uh, not only a passive voice in these sentences, but a passive voice in our criminal justice system. For sure. So, um, do we want to go to the therapist? Yeah. So there, just to kind of the whole series, every single episode is good and absolutely necessary, especially the relationship between the two female detectives. Yes. Um, that's a, the, that's the best. That's really just seeing the best. them interact with one another. And the other one is uh, Tony Collette, who I love. You guys, I don't know anybody who doesn't love Tony Collette as an actress. She's just really, really she's good. She's really, really and good. And I think of her as the woman from Sixth Sense. And she was also Muriel in Muriel's Wedding. I know. I think you made me watch that a long time ago. It's not, it doesn't, I love Muriel's Wedding, but it's not like it's for everybody. Yeah. It's kind of a bit of a cult film. And then she's been in a million things since. Of you know, she's been nominated for all sorts of awards and all these kind of things. So did you, do you, do you remember Hereditary from last year? It was one of those movies I didn't see, but I watched the trailer and read about it, kind of like the Babadook, mm-hmm. you know, like the I Babadook, could, the Babadook. Um, but Hereditary is supposed to be terrifying, and let's she watch was. It, sweetie. Let's not. Okay, 
So the relationship that grows between these two women is pretty amazing too. Um, and also being able to see their relationships with their partners and that all those strained because of what they do for a living, not at all uh, – stereotypical movie like where they're fighting all the yeah. time their partners are very supportive of what they do yeah. and it can be strained like any relationship but not but very lovely yeah so all that middle part is necessary so you get the whole story but then we finally get to um episode seven and marie <laughs> marie eventually gets prosecuted by the county for making a false report which means she's going to lose all her privileges from the foster care program uh -huh. like her life is going to is turned upside down it fell apart yeah. and part of what was demanded of her in her plea deal was that she paid five hundred dollars and that she did court mandated report or excuse me therapy uh, court mandated therapy so she goes to see this therapist who I think we figured out was the woman from Silence of the Lambs. Which is kind of like perfect. That's that's why I think they did it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know this for fact. Can you look it up and see if it's sure, her? Sure. So while I'm telling the story, Todd's going to make sure that that's the woman we're talking about. But she is a therapist, and I actually was just telling my social work students that they had to watch the scenes with her because she is so, so trauma-informed. Yeah. And is such a wonderful example of a patient and wise therapist. Mm -hmm. Because first, especially when you're working with children or with teens or adults who are court ordered, because you know they don't want to be there in the first place. Second of all, she creates an environment where Marie gets to talk about whatever she wants to talk about. They end up talking about the movie Zombieland, and the therapist even is thoughtful about the questions she asks about the movie that allow Marie to really share how she feels about life. It's really well done, um, and that's that's how it can happen in therapy sometimes. It's not always like a movie, but you can let someone, you know, those of you therapists who are out there listening to this, let your clients talk about the music they like, the movies they like, the experiences, you know, the, the places they like to travel to, because all of that informs what they're there for. Yeah. Okay. So this is why it's such a beautiful moment. Um, but then eventually, um, Marie feels comfortable enough, um, that she asks the therapist, don't you want to know about what happened to me? Why I lied? And the therapist, in the most lovely way, and I don't know if this is part of what you're playing, says, I'm just interested in you. Yeah. And then she goes on from so there. So the actress's name is Brooke Smith. Okay. And she played Catherine Martin. Yes, I knew it. In Silence of the Lambs. And she also is the therapist in this moment. Yes. So, okay, so let's think about that. Todd and I are pop culture freaks. And so so you take the girl who's in the well, the lotion in the basket girl. Yeah. From the Silence of the Lambs, a traumatized character. Yeah. And again, and and then ask her to be the therapist yeah. in this movie. It's like, it's like you almost want it to be Catherine Martin. Right. The, the, the traumatized girl. The traumatized girl. And she is now using yes. that experience. Yes. I just got goosebumps thinking about know. it. To help somebody else. Yes. Anyway. Isn't that what we're all supposed to do in life? Yeah. This is what I mean about that. I was just talking about how trauma um, you know, survivors or sexual assault survivors carry this with them the rest of their lives. They don't move on. They move forward. But when you move forward, you get to choose how you use your experience to help other people. Yeah. You get to choose how... like. Every addiction counselor I know is in recovery. Yeah. Right? Makes sense, right? Sure. You've gone through something, you help people who have so 
Yeah, so I love that it's her. I knew we knew it. So play this scene with her. Who you are? That's not what I asked. Here's what I think. No one makes up something like that unless there's an element of truth to it. Whether you were raped that night or invented a story about being raped that night, I think the truth is you've been violated. You're carrying burdens that were dumped on you by people who didn't love you as well as you deserve to be loved. And that's what I'm curious about. How I might help you carry those burdens a little more lightly, or maybe even lay some of them down. But this is your time. And we have a few minutes. If there's something you want to tell me about that night, I would love to listen. So when we watched this together, sweetie, mm-hmm. you kept on saying, you said, I think, five times <laughs> in this episode, good therapist. Good therapist. Because she was doing she was doing it right. Well, because she said the first time that, um, you know, I, I, Todd and I said that when Marie first walked in for her first appointment, we said uh, Marie's going to totally pull a Will Hunting. She's going to sit down, you yeah. know, in Good Will Hunting and say, I'm not going to talk, mm-hmm. which is basically what she said. Do I have to talk? And the therapist is like, of course not. Yeah. You don't have to talk. But, you know, we can just be here together. And then when they cut to the next scene... You know, Marie still doesn't want to be there. And the therapist is like, we can just talk about movies and stuff like that, which is exactly what you do. Like therapy is not about tell me all the details and I'm going to analyze them for you. Therapy is about forming a connection where you feel safe, that you can share things that are difficult if you so choose, but even having the connection is therapeutic. And we think that it's all about therapy. You know, I, I teach, uh, therapists, people who are want to become therapists, and they think it's all about having the right thing to say. And I'm like, you don't have to say much at all. If you know how to listen, you're going to get all the information you need. So she was just really well written, you yes. know, and well acted. Yes. So it's wonderful. Uh-huh. Um, there's something else I was going to say before, because then we have one more clip we yeah. want to play. But bef- I wanted to talk about, can I move on? Sure, sure, sure. There's a scene that wouldn't be good for audio where this detective we love is sitting at a diner in Kansas. Yes. And there's a creepy guy at the end of the diner table. <laughs> it's my favorite. And it's just a very gratifying moment because you know that this detective is just a badass woman. Okay, so like exactly. And I'm gonna let you tell the no, best you, part you of it. You go ahead, you go ahead. But we 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 both love that scene in that moment. I think didn't you we? loved it more because you've experienced this oh, crap, and I can so only imagine what it's like. So basically, Detective Duvall, who is Merritt Weaver or Weber, however you say it, she's sitting by herself in in a diner, and I think it's night. Yes, I, I think it's just got a creepy vibe it's got a creepy to it. Vibe. There's not a lot of people in the restaurant. There's nobody there really, except a guy behind the counter, and then this other guy at the end of the counter. She's going through paperwork, and she realizes he's staring at her. So any woman who has been anywhere alone, has been stared at by men. And you may think, oh, it's a compliment. No, it's not. Again, this is a form of power. It is a form of being made to feel uncomfortable. Now, again, there's always nuance in here. I get it. I get it. For people saying, no, 
majority of the time, if a stranger is staring at you in a diner that's deserted, you are not taking it as flattery. Yeah. Okay? You are uncomfortable. He continues to stare at her, and she continues to kind of look up. And then she stands up and kind of opens her coat so you can see that she has a badge and a gun. Yeah. And he turns away. In a very scared way. But then the best part is what happens next. Do you remember? I don't remember what happens next. She walks down and stands behind him and stares at him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So she's basically saying, this is what it feels like. Yeah, and just, I'm not afraid of you. And I'm not afraid of you. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful scene. Oh, it's so subtle. And this is this is why, like, when I'm saying that women made this movie, wrote it, directed, acted in it, I'm not saying that in a term of, like, just girl power. I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is the perspective that it's taking is a perspective we don't often see. We see everything through the eyes of men. We see every story through the eyes of men. We even watch rape through the eyes of men. Mm. So to have a show that doesn't, you know, that that gives us an experience that a woman has through the eyes of how it's really experienced. Do you want to talk about how they did that in this series as far as they didn't want it to be pornographic? Correct. Do you want to explain that? Go ahead. Go ahead. As I understood it, you actually told me this, so you might be able to explain it better, but they didn't want any people... Titillating. Yeah, you don't want this to arouse Mm -mm. you because it's one of those things like if you see two people having sex, unconsciously you might get aroused. And the way that they shoot this is like the camera is from the uh, angle of the victim Mm -hmm. and she's wearing a blindfold. So even the camera lens is kind of covered up so you Mm -hmm. can't see a whole lot and there's nothing arousing about it. Um, It's just terrifying. it's It's just a terrifying scene. And you would think like, oh, yeah, duh. Like, nobody's ever done that before. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Not in this way. Most of the time, they were even talking about how, what, I read something about how, like, rape scenes are always seen through male characters' eyes that, like, even in Game of Thrones, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that a lot of times, even in shows, the even in Law & Order episodes, like, like, a lot of critics... A lot of critics and just not even critics, but just individuals who watch all these shows like, you know, SVU and Law and Order, because, you know, I love all those kind of shows. The they really do traffic in using rape as a plot device. Okay. Mm. And it's like a kind of a shorthand for drama. Like, oh, this woman was woman was raped. Now all the men detectives and let's go after the male rapist and see what his background is about. And and the woman is just kind of like left. She's like a a chess piece. She is. And so you know, so this show, they they're the the women are treated with their the respect that they're owed in this kind of situation. Owed is the wrong word. A respect that's deserved. Earned. Earned. And also a a sense of, I don't care about what happens to the rapist's life. Mm -hmm. What happened to her? And what happens to her a week later and two weeks later and a year later? And how does this show up in her life, like you said, over and over and over again. Yeah. That why are we not seeing that perspective more often? And these female detectives, their experience, they don't dive too deep into it, but there's a few scenes of how they realize even like at one point they think that the the perpetrator, the rapist might be a, a police officer mm-hmm. and they realize they can't tell anybody that. Because of the repercussions of the possibility of them being viewed as somebody, you know, there's a very, what's the word? There's this fraternity mm-hmm, of system. police officers mm-hmm. where you do not 
do mm-hmm. anything against your own. Exactly. So unless you have proof, right. don't even bring it up. That's right. But the problem is in investigations, you don't start with the proof. You start mm-hmm. with evidence and you got to look around. So they actually, they have a scene, Tony Collette says, you know, if we start telling the FBI this, then everyone's going to look at us as the two female detectives who want to take down the men. Yeah. And so they have to, and she says, we're going to do this by ourselves. Yeah. Like they are really, and they do. Um, so let's finish it up. Okay. Um, but real quick, before we play this last scene, and I might need you to set this up, okay. but um, I do think aside from it just being an extremely well done series, I do think it's like girl power stuff. Like, I mean, I know you're saying that too, right. but you weren't saying it because of the girl power thing. Right. But for me, it's like freaking girl power. Well, and sometimes when we're saying, uh, you know, a lot of times when there's discussions about how there needs to be more parody in the whole, you know, entertainment system where we need to have more female directors and female screenwriters and more leads that are women. Sometimes that can be just thought of like, I don't know if the right language is in a vacuum where it's like, just because Mm -hmm. it's not just because it's because we need that perspective to add to our very male perspective of how we see the world. The percentage of of um, I want to say detectives of directors that are women is so minuscule that everything we have been trained to see through art is through a man's lens. I will give you an example. Okay, we've been doing pop culturing for a few months. Okay, so just think about the ratio, and these are our favorite movies. Favorite movies, right? Think about how many of these are about women, and then let's talk about how many of these are about men. Our first one we did was about parenthood. So that was kind of... But it was Steve Martin's lead. It was Steve Martin's lead. Uh, Let me see what the second one was. Second one was Star is Born. It's about both, Both. right? Uh, Third one was... Bridesmaids, right? Let's see. Let's see. Third one was Stand By Me. Boys. Bridesmaids. Uh, girls but see it's here's the thing it's not just about the characters it's about the viewpoint and the writer right because women can star in a movie mm. that is directed by a man and written by a man so it may not be like like for example bridesmaids that was directed by a man mm. now that's okay it was written by Kristen wig it sure. was i'm not saying this has to be consistent all the way through sure but keep going um then we did did i say swingers nope so swingers, swingers about guys big little eyes all women. All women directed by a man, written by a man, but about women. And um, it was well done. Uh, eighth grade, Bo Burnham, but it's about a young woman. Yeah, it's about a That's young good. woman. And I really think he did write by her. Uh, like, oh, I so think do I. That writer. And let me go back to Big Little Lies. The second season was directed by a woman. Yeah. Uh, Sex in the City. Yep. Yep. Good. Uh-huh. Uh, say Anything. Mm, both, but mostly, mostly it's about It's Lloyd. about Lloyd Dobler. Mm-hmm. Um, Dead Poet Society. Boys. Shawshank. Boys. Jerry Maguire. Boys. So, so like even our sampling of what we've done is, is a little bit more balanced than the actuality of it. But, but real quick, when, what I didn't understand is like whenever we watch St. Elmo's or Dead Poet Society or Goodwill Hunting, a group of people, you always identify like, who are you most like? And I've now realized that most of the women, most of the people you women and girls have to identify with is one of the boys. Correct. Because you, there are no stories about... I'm When ju- we were growing up. When you were yep. growing up. For sure. It was always about the boys. And this is why, like, let me get deep about this. This is, we know how to do that. Like, I can watch Star Wars and feel like Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And I 
can inhabit the experience, you know, I can inhabit his feelings and I can look through his eyes and I can realize how I can take on the kind of experiences he has. And I know how to do that. And that is a form of empathy. I think women have learned how to be lots of different characters, but it sure would be nice to be able to have more protagonists who reflect us in our full selves, not just calling on the phone and saying, you remember that Amy Schumer skit? Come home. Yes. Amy Schumer does this great skit where she, you know, points out how many like wives in movies are just like calling from home, telling their partners to come home. It's hilarious. Come home. And that there's actually a full-bodied representation. It's part of the reason I love Big Little Lies, because those characters were not perfect people. Sweetie, what do you think of Laura Linney in uh, the... Uh in Sully? Sully. The worst. I love Laura Linney. So do I. But that a character being at home just calling, almost saying, you need to stop doing that. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're not fully fleshed out. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not it's full like, characters. They're not full characters. And so it is nice. And and again, I'm talking about women. You you have to think about this in terms of people of color who mm. don't get to see themselves reflected on the screen. Of course. People with disabilities. Yeah. You know, um, you know. Sexual orientation. L- LGBTQ. Like, um, this is like to have the ability to see yourself really helps us feel more valued and that we belong in the world and gives us a voice Mm -hmm. because I can now refer to these movies if they be comedies or TV shows like this as like, like this show, unbelievable. And I've said this already, I am telling my students to watch this, but I wouldn't tell my students to watch game of Thrones because that's a representation of something real. So Anyway. So you set up this last scene where she's calling her detective. Oh, so, okay. So, man, this series makes you work hard. It is to watch Marie go through everything she goes through and watch all the dead ends and the the things that just never pan out for these detectives. And um, when things start to come together, um, it's very rewarding. It's cathartic. And, um, and there is a moment at the very end um, in episode eight where we've had these two storylines that are completely different. Marie's story. They've never been mixed. They've never The been actors mixed. have never talked to each other, nope. the characters. The characters. So the detective story and Marie's story have been uh, like running on parallel lines. And this is the moment where they cross. You know, the thing is, I've spent my whole life trying really hard to believe that most people are basically good. Even when the ones I knew weren't. I don't know, I guess it just gave me hope or something. I can see that. Then this thing happened, the rape, and... I don't know, it just became harder for me to believe that there was really any good in the world. And I think that that was the hardest part of this whole thing, waking up feeling hopeless. And I would think things like, well, if the world is this bad, do I, do I even want to be in it, you know? I do. But then, out of nowhere, I hear about these two people. It's a completely other part of the country looking out for me and making things right and I don't know, more than, more than anything else. More than him getting locked up. More than the money I got. It was hearing that about you guys that just changed things completely. And I, I wake up.
up now. And I can imagine good things happening. There you go, Marie. It's like so fantastic. Rewarding. And there's a moment where Marie gets her driver's license and she is so happy to get it. And she has her hair in a ponytail, which may not. She looks so different. She looks so different. It's like you've been going on this journey with her and it's been very trying. Like it it, to the point where sometimes I put a blanket over my head. I'm like, I can't do it anymore. And um, so. I just want to throw out some other resources to people who found this. Um, if they haven't seen Unbelievable, go see it. If you, um, you know, watch it on Netflix, um, read the article, you know, where it came from in the Pulitzer Prize winning article called An Unbelievable Story of Rape. Mm-hmm. You can go to This American Life and hear this story or find the book either titled A False Report or Unbelievable. I think they are calling it. I recommend this book called She Said by Jody Cantor and uh, Megan Tui, basically about the, the breaking of the sexual harassment story. Um, around Harvey Weinstein and how that led to the you know continuation of Time's Up and Me Too. Um, Todd and I have screened a bunch of movies mm. around this issue. So help me here. Uh, the Hunting Ground. Uh, I Am Evidence. I Am Evidence. Um, uh, Jackson Katz's documentary. What's that called? Uh, the Upstand. No. The yeah. Bystander the Moment. Bystander Moment. Um, Mask You Live In, Misrepresentation. Yep. Basically... There is so much more now informationally that we can access to get a different viewpoint on... Well, the Harvey Weinstein thing on Hulu. Oh, what's that called? Un... Um, un something. Untouchable. Untouchable. So there's a documentary on um, Hulu, like Todd said. So just to open your mind to maybe the stories you've been told about sexual assault or the belief systems that you maybe unconsciously carry about believing that men or that women lie about this or that, you know, like that college kid, oh, this is what they do now. Um, were the media um, and unfortunately our own culture has fed us stories um, that we have kind of swallowed without questioning. And until you have had the experience yourself, like one really powerful um, song, and Todd, maybe you could pull this up. Uh, Lady Gaga wrote a song for the documentary, The Hunting Ground. Um, and it should have won the Academy Award that year. In my opinion, it was about three or four years ago, but it's called If It Happened to You. Mm. And it's basically about if it happened to you, then you would know how this feels or if it happened like our friend Mike Domish who is he runs an organization called the Date Safe Project and the reason that he started the work he does in in teaching about consent and and healthy relationships is because his own sister was raped and sometimes having the experience either yourself personally or someone you love it opens your mind to not only their experience, but the system Mm -hmm. and how the system is not set up to support victims. It is set up sometimes unconsciously. Again, we don't need to vilify anyone individually, but it's sometimes set up against them. Before we play that song, Uh can I selfishly promote uh, Zen Parenting Radio Podcast? It's not selfish. I think Um, it's good. All right. Uh, we have a podcast. We've mm-hmm. done 511 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zen Parenting Radio. We have a conference every year. Uh, the next one is February 28th and 29th, 2020. If you're interested in that, just go to our website, zenparentingradio.com. We have some amazing speakers. We're going to be talking about some of this very thing. 
um, healthy masculinity, empowering women, and everything in between. Coming together as leaders, both genders, we're going to have uh, a transgender non-binary panel because we're talking about all genders here. We're going to be talking about uh, sexual uh, sex education for teens and adults because sometimes they need it too, um, and anxiety yep. and how there's so much anxiety around this. So um, join us. Uh, just go to zenparentingradio.com. And if there's any guys out there, uh, I do a men's group. We do it virtually and we do it in person. You could be in New Zealand or right around the corner. Uh, check out the tribemensgroup.org. And without further ado, I will play a little bit of Lady Gaga's song called Till It Happens to You. Tell me it gets better, it gets better in time You say I pull myself together, pull it together, you'll be fine Tell me what the hell do you know, what do you know Tell me how the hell could you know Hold your head up, hold your head up. 